Hey guys, it's Victoria Bowman here for Stories with Victoria Bowman. So today's story that we're going to be reading is Living a Lie. Just a little background information about the story before I start. So I was experiencing writer's block. So I went on thepros.com and set up a challenge for other people to give me writing prompts so that I could think of something to write. And so one of one of the writers on there, I believe her name is Alexicon, gave me one. I can't remember how it was worded exactly, but essentially it was along the lines of you've always been pretty cautious. You've never, um, you were never reckless like your peers, and you never really experienced any sort of wounds such as a scraped knee or or similar things um until one day your first your first night at living on your own you end up cutting your fingers instead of there are being blood and tissue there is metal ligaments and in, in armatures basically like I said, I can't rem I can't remember exactly how it was worded or anything. I can possibly try to find that for you and read it out to y'all. If I do, it'll be at the very end of this episode. So I'm about to start. Living a lie. At first, I didn't register what I'm seeing. They show this in a lot of movies, anyway. This is perfectly normal. Then it clicks. People are supposed to bleed, not spark. I gaze at the wires and metal joints that reside in my hand where bones, veins, and muscles should be. Where are my bones? Where's the blood? Where's the fleshy tissue? I recall my parents would take me to the doctor every month, but I'd always be asleep for everything because I'd kick and scream if I weren't. Could that have some odd correlation with the, with the missing human parts? I grab my phone and dial my mom's number. She answers on the third ring. Hey Betty, how's being out on your own going? We miss you, she chatters excitedly. I take a deep breath. It's okay, hey mom. Is dad there? I need to speak to you both. Yes! Oh, we're so excited, we're so excited to hear from you. I hear her yell for my dad to come and see. Then a quick conversation before I am put on speaker. Hey, Sugar Plum, Dad shouts. I can practically see his blue eyes dancing with excitement, the same way they would when his team won a game. Hey, so, um, I have some news. Uh, bad news. I'm trying not to freak out. Silence. Hello? Sorry, honey, what's wrong? Mom answers. I go, I, um, I cut my finger off? And there's no blood or pain. More silence. There's wires and metal where my bones and tendons are supposed to be. My dad clears his throat. Can you come over tomorrow? We need to tell you this in person. Sure, I guess. I'm low-key freaking out, though. Why are they ignoring the fact that I'm now missing a finger? Why are they not acknowledging that my finger is cy cyborgic? Even if, 
Is cyborg even a word? Something slowly devours my stomach and I recognize the feeling. Anxiety. Beep. I look at my phone screen. They've hung up. I look at my food, suddenly not hungry anymore. The next morning. I leave at 8, skipping breakfast. I still haven't recovered my appetite. The drive is only 45 minutes long, so if I get hungry, I can ask Mom to make me something. Then again, she may already be, be making me something. She's normally up at this time, cooking breakfast and getting coffee made. Dad is probably reading the newspaper and sneaking glances of affection at Mom as he listens to her sing. Marco, the family dog, is probably sitting at the doorway of the dining room, waiting for breakfast to be served so he can guilt trip dad into giving him, him scraps. A smile crawls across my face at the thought of it all. Before I know it, mom is pulling me into the house and hugging me. Dad wa watches us, his expression unreadable. Good morning, Um, can we go ahead and talk about the whole thing with my finger? I hold up my hand showing that my index finger is missing. Dad gestures to the table, sit down. I take the seat I've always sat at. Breakfast has already been laid out and there's a plate for me, eggs, sausage, bacon, and a cup of chocolate milk. Thoughtlessly, I take a sip of milk and a bite of egg. Betty, Dad's eyes are sad as Mom takes a seat holding a photo album. I stare at them waiting. Somehow, I know what they're going to tell me before they begin, as if this were all an odd version of deja vu. I sh a shudder scampers down my spine. Betty, when you were younger, a baby, you were sick, fatally ill. We were constantly taking pictures of you because your time, well, was limited. You weren't expected to live past a year. Then you did. The older you became, the worse it got. There wasn't even a cure. No one knew what it was, Dad began, heaving out a heavy sigh. When you turned seven, it mysteriously vanished. You got better, and soon there wasn't any sign that you'd ever been ill. Mom was tearing up, and Dad was shaking. Until one night, you refused to eat. You said you felt sick, but we didn't listen. We forced you to eat. A few bites in, you, be you began vomiting blood. We rushed you to the hospital, and you had to have some surgery done. A few days later, you were released, but you weren't better. You barely ate, if you ate at all. One night you were in bed and your mother and I were talking. We heard you start screaming. When we ran in, you were clutching your chest. Your nose was bleeding and your skin was feverish. We rushed you to the emergency room. They couldn't figure out what was wrong and throughout the night your skin got warmer but your temperature was always 99 degrees. At one point they put you to sleep to try and ease your pain and for a while it did. The next morning, you wouldn't wake up. Your heart rate was normal, your skin had cold, your breathing was even. You wouldn't wake up at all, all, and we thought you were comatose. They put you on life support. His blue eyes sparkled as little raindrops fell from his eyes. The next day, a new doctor came in. He told us that, you sh that should you die, he'd help, and he did. You flatlined a few days after we met him. When, when you did, he refused to let anyone sign your death certificate. He said to give him three hours, and they did. Three hours later, we came to say goodbye, and instead we were met with your arms thrown around us and a shout of joy. 
You were healthy. He refused to tell anyone what he'd done. He, he said to bring you to see him once a month for a checkup. And we did. At your fourth checkup, he explained that you, you were similar to a clockwork creature from that book series you liked. You know, the one about the warlock girl and the warrior race to the, the fight, that fight demons. You were still our daughter, still felt emotions, still felt hunger and thirst and need and want. But your bones were metal, your veins were wire, and your organs were connected to it all. He had adjusted everything during your checkup so that you'd never grow out of it. I stared at them, not sure what I should feel. Emotions raged, raged a war inside me. Sorrow, sorrow battled. Anger and hatred battled love. Sweat threatened to break through my pores at, as it always had when I experienced emotions such as anxiety and surprise. That's why you don't remember your doctor's appointments or the days they happened or even the doctor himself. That's why you have no recollection of anything that happened before you turned seven. I continued to stare, speechless. Mom chimed in, straining to be cheerful. You're, you're still human. You're just different. So that was the end of Living a Lie. Not a very long story, um, which is good because it's supposed to be a short story. Uh, I'm sure y'all have probably noticed I tend to falter in my speech and stutter a few times in both the first episode and this episode, and I wanted to give y'all a quick heads up. I know some of you are probably wondering why don't I just edit that out or re-record so I'm not making those mistakes. And the reason why is I have this huge pet peeve, which is why I don't listen to audiobooks, where it bothers me with how perfect the, the reader is reading it. And like, if you notice, like you can hear the beeping in the background. I'm sure in the last episode and this episode, like you just heard me pop my finger maybe the reason why I don't edit those things out is because, well, first off, I can't get, get whatever is beeping to stop beeping. And it also kind of shows you I'm human because I do make mistakes. I do have speech problems, not as harsh as they were when I was younger. However, they are still there. And I know... We live in a world where, you know, our flaws aren't commonly accepted, where we are pretty much forced to act like we are perfect when nobody is. And I know I, especially when I was younger, I would look up at these authors and I would be like, they're so perfect, flawless writing, all that. And now that I'm older, I know it's not flawless because I've seen, like, minor grammatical or spelling errors in books. It's their confidence to, st to still practice their craft, despite those flaws that makes them so good. And, like, yeah, I'm very insecure about 
my speech impediment. I, I don't like that I stutter. I hate it, actually. But that's me. I stutter. And I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't exist. For anyone. Not even myself. And I know we, we live in a society where, like, self-love is supposed to become um, a more commonly accepted thing. And part of self-love is seeing, hey, I have this flaw and I'm going, I'm going to continue to work on it. However, I'm not going to pretend it's not there. Because if I pretend it's not there, I'm not going to actually work on myself and it's not going to get better. Instead, it will do the exact opposite and I will feel even worse about it. That is why I don't edit out my faltering or my stutters or anything. Because it's, it's a way of being true to myself, true to the recording, and it kind of gives y'all a reminder that, hey, this host is human. And I think that's something that is important. And I'm, I'm sure that I, there's other podcasts where, like, you know, the host stutters every now and again or something like that. And if there is, then awesome. And I'm really hoping this becomes a more common thing. Now, if I completely butcher the entire thing, yeah, I'm re-recording. However, if you've read the story or you read the story as as I'm reading, and so you're reading along, you will notice I also messed up the wording a few times because my brain moved too fast for, for my mouth to keep up. And it wasn't like major changes. Like I'd switch up a word or at one point I accidentally skip, skipped over a word by it didn't happen often. If I was constantly switching up wording, I would have stopped it, erased the recording, and re-reported. But I wanted to let y'all know that, that way you're, you're not like, well, why don't, why don't you edit that stuff out so you're not embarrassing yourself? Because y'all, y'all are my peeps, man. And yeah, that was very crunchy of me to say. But y'all are my people, so I gotta be comfortable with my people in order for us to be more comfortable with each other in order for me to be able to really answer y'all's questions in the future and answer them 100% honestly. So that's why. And I hope it doesn't bother anyone. If it does, I'm sorry. I'm not, like I said, I'm not even going to change it for myself. But I hope you all stay safe. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. And I will see you next time for a reading of Enchantress, part one. Enchantress is two parts, so it will have two episodes. You guys have a wonderful week. Bye!